clubhouse. Welcome back to the third part of Pod Clubhouse's coverage of the first season. I hope it's the first season of Disney Plus's Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is Paul, and I'm here with my buddy, Mark. Hey, Paul. Excited today, man. Yeah, this was quite an episode. It, it gave us just a little a little taste of what we're building up to, I think, and how we're just not ready for it. <laughs> yeah. No, the other day we're talking, oh, yeah, they'll probably meet up with Bail Organa, you know, and then all of a sudden, what do we get? Boom. And we're just, wow, you know, Obi-Wan versus Vader round one. Because I agree, there's got to be a round two for sure. Were you at all shocked at how rusty Obi-Wan was? I felt like in the previous episodes and even this one, he looks at his lightsaber like, what is this thing? How do you, how do you use it? But then when, when it went down and he needed it, it was effortless. You cannot run, Obi-Wan. Boosh, you know, I thought that was cool. Right, but the Dark Lord there was fighting him one-handed, sort of like you might do with a child. Oh, yeah, he was just toying with him. What did you think about the element of adding a beast-like nature to Vader in his angry pursuit of Kenobi? Do you think it was maybe just that he knew that this was Kenobi, and so he was extra pissed off? Or do you think whenever he shows up, he just breaks people's necks left and right, willy-nilly, doesn't even care? They're obviously not Jedi or responsible for the Jedi. He's just breaking necks anyway. What do you think about the way he was portrayed? The word demon came to mind with me. And I guess, you know, it reflects, I guess, how he's been training the Inquisitors to that whole speech by the Grand Inquisitor about the Jedi code. They can't help themselves. So you just start hurting people and killing people and the Jedi will show up. You know, that's his cold calculated tactic. But yeah, he was just force choking and dragging NPCs and all over the place. That was crazy. <laughs> it was. I hadn't really thought about that Vader would take, like you said, NPCs' lives for granted. I mean, we, we saw he was pretty rough on uh, Captain Antilles at the beginning of A New Hope, but he was a semi-combatant. And then we saw how he was in Rogue One with the other crewman of the Alderanian ship that uh, was holding Leia's ship before she took off. But they were all combatants. So I just I, like I hadn't considered that he would just go, you know, hell for leather <laughs> down, down, a, down a main street like that and just kill the, like you said, the NPCs, the red shirts. I mean, he's been obsessing about Obi-Wan for 10 years and he has a chance. So I'm not really surprised that he's... He's pulling out all the stops. I mean, he's just hell-bent on revenge. I think we'll get into it more, but I'm curious as to what he was thinking. And, and did he kind of let Obi-Wan go, you know, at the end? I mean, he could have force-leaped over that fire super easily, but it's almost like you could see him thinking. And I definitely have some thoughts on that. I don't know what to make of this thought, so maybe you can help me. You know, he started that fire deliberately using the ore or whatever it was that he spilled down so he knew that there was fire, but then he didn't want to deal with the fire once he dragged Obi-Wan through it and then Obi-Wan got back out of it. It's like, I, I think I have read in novels or comics that after Mustafar, he's not really down with fire. You know, he's not super excited to be involved with fire anymore. And I wonder if that's true or if that's just uh, me making stuff up. But yeah, you know what I mean? Like, like it was like he... He let him go, kind of, but he also didn't want to go through the fire or risk going through the fire. Paul, I loved this. This is just incredible writing. You know, he burned up on Mustafar with the, high, the famous high ground scene. 
And he's now going, you know, the saying, uh, hurt people, hurt people. He's going to take Obi-Wan like a rag doll and throw him in the fire and be like, okay, now it's your turn to burn. Now you will suffer, Obi-Wan. That was, man, yeah. It was, it was almost like he had it planned rather than just be like, hey, look, there's a fire. Oh, what irony, you know, the guy that burned me lives <laughs> right here and I've got this fire ready to go. Let's see what I can make out of that. Lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. And I think there was just a lot of contrast between the dark and the light on this one. I mean, he said, uh, what have you become? And he said, I am what you made me. What have you become? What you made me. It's kind of like the dark side. You're always just blaming others. You know, it's not, he didn't have anything to do with it. He's projecting all this onto Obi-Wan mm. um, rather than, than taking responsibility for his own mistakes. And uh, I, I noticed a couple other examples of this contrast between light and dark. Like, for example, I thought it was really cool. Obi-Wan kind of had a purpose. You know, if you think back to episode four, when he confronts Vader that time, it's because he's trying to create a distraction so Luke and crew can peace out. You know, it's not like he's just doing it for fun, like he wants to confront Vader or he, he he's hung up on revenge or anything like that. He just he just wants to help out Luke. And in this case, it's Leia, right? It's a complete reflection. He's trying to let Leia escape. He's going to create a distraction and confront him just to help Leia escape, you know? So mm -hmm. this just brings out that the Jedi are selfless. And while Anakin is just selfishly focused on his own revenge, his desire for revenge, you know, and, and then he also said one, the, well, the third point, you know, he told him the years have made you weak. He looks at the world in terms of power. I'm way more powerful than you are. I mean, I kind of think that there's a little bit of a problem with this episode, but I'm cool with it. And that is, you know, in episode four, it's like, you know, when I last saw you, I was but the learner. Now I'm the master. Yeah. Right. You know, so he's he's still kind of hung up on that, even in episode four. But, you know, I guess you could say that's kind of a bit of a, of a retcon because, I mean, Obi-Wan definitely wasn't the master in this episode. He's like a rag doll. <laughs> Good. That line from A New Hope. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Also rattled around in, in my brain. It's like, it must be really challenging to write and perform this show and not contradict something that, you know, fans like us have had memorized for 40 years. That particular line stands out. Or any element of that meeting on the Death Star that had so far been considered the first time they had met since Mustafar. And now we're seeing that there was something in between which, you know, is okay because he also has that line where he says he's more machine now than man. He's more machine now than man, twisted and evil. Well, we discussed in the last podcast or so that Ben is not really staying up to date with the news on Tatooine. So how did he get that intel? Well, now we know. He saw it. <laughs> he, he, was, uh, he was right there in the same airspace as the guy. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man, that was so cool. Like you said, the irony of it. He also told, just back to the wrapping up the, the fight, the big fight, you know, he told him, you should have killed me when you had the chance, you know, on Mustafar. He had the chance to kill Obi-Wan right then and there. And he chose not to do it. Do you have any thoughts on on why? I, I, I almost thought like 
he enjoyed torturing Obi-Wan. He, and he said, it's just the beginning, you know, or something like that. Like maybe he wants to find him again and just keep on torturing him. And that's why he let him go. Well, I had it put in my in my notes that, that that was a very cat and mouse sort of chase through those little dunes or whatever those were that they were on the outskirts of that town that they were going through. Maybe you're onto something that he wants to savor the fact that he's found Kenobi and wants, you know, a quick death wouldn't quite reconcile how he feels about how much suffering he felt at the hands of Obi-Wan. We know that that's all screwed up, <laughs> but it's true from a certain point of view. <laughs> that might explain why when he does find Ben on the Death Star, why he just goes for the, the, the saber fight and the killing stroke rather than any more dicking around. Yeah, it's been many years. He's like, okay, I may not get another chance. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Someone had pointed out on the um, on the internet, maybe it was even you, pointed out that the timing with which Kenobi sacrifices himself on the on the Death Star is a little more poignant now in that he waits until he sees Leia and then he goes. Then he does the quick, I'm going to be a Force ghost ritual <laughs> before... Um, before he lets uh, Vader cut him down. Yeah, he looks over at Luke and, and yeah, that's a good point. That gives it more power. Now he's doing the same thing. So, and, and yeah, and I think there's there's something else, else we can we can touch on. You know, we know we, at the beginning of the episode, we had this t- another teaser with Qui-Gon, you know, help me master, give me strength. Mm, yeah. We know he's weak. He, he recognizes he's weak in the Force. He doesn't have it figured out. He's still going on with the, the normal Jedi routine, but he knows that's not working for him. And he's and I like that scene where he's talking with Leia, and he was like, well, you know, people just give up their kids super early, and uh, yeah, we go train as Jedi. I'm like, man, that would be traumatic. You know, and he's, so I almost think like Obi-Wan's a little, you know, his, his worldview was set by that. Um, and then we get the, I mean, we're jumping around here, but man, we got hit with the bombshell. Obi-Wan's got a brother. What's what? What's up? All of a sudden, I wanted to know everything about Brother Juan Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> brother Juan. Obi-2, like you said. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to know everything about that guy. Um, is he force sensitive? What's his story? Did he just live a simple life after uh, Obi-Wan left? Like, oh man, now I need to know. One last first impression that I wanted to get your opinion on was, and this uh, maybe fits better into the predictions, but knowing how this show takes place before Rebels, Rebels is considered canon, and there is no Reva in Rebels, does that mean, does that require for, say, you, the viewer, that after putting Obi-Wan through all this, do they have to put her down, or is there some other way that she can get out of this? Can she return to the light? Can she, I don't know what, wind up in Imperial prison, never be heard from again? Like, is there any other outcome besides death by lightsaber that, <laughs> that would satisfy the viewers? The Inquisitors didn't get a lot of action this episode, of course, because um, it was, you know, it was all about Anakin and Obi-Wan. More, uh, more just political saber rattling. Yeah, um, but but no, I, I think you're right. I think uh, I know there's a there's another character, Trilla from the Jedi Fallen Order, that Vader killed 
and he flat out in this episode, I guess he threatened Riva, you know, it was like the carrot of the stick approach. Um, you know, he knows she wants more power. He's, <laughs> he's like, yeah, bring me Obi-Wan or you're basically dead. That might be foreshadowing, kind of like we got the foreshadowing in the beginning when, when uh, we heard Obi-Wan think, you know, he's coming, Master. And I was like, whoa, I, I didn't pick up on that. I don't know about you, but he's coming. He tells her, you know, you get Kenobi, you get the job. You don't get Kenobi, you, you die. I know what it is you seek. Prove yourself, and the position of Grand Inquisitor is yours. Fail me, and you will not live to regret it. We know she doesn't wind up with Kenobi, long term anyway, because he's back. <laughs> he even upgrades from cave to hovel um, on Tatooine in the next nine years. So they already scripted the end for us there. Reva dies at Vader's hand because he can replace her as far as he's concerned. I kind of originally thought that maybe Obi-Wan would try to redeem her. And that would be like he succeeded where he failed with Anakin. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I see that dynamic playing out in this show right now. So it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with her character. I was trying to think about, would I accept, say, turning to the light or something like that as a, as a, as a good ending for her? I'm not sold yet, uh, especially given the way the episode ends and whatever happens with Leia in her care might determine how much... I hate her guts, <laughs> you know? And so if that goes badly, then um, turning to the light, I could, I could, I would probably consider that kind of a cheap way out. Yeah. And we're halfway through, believe it or not, we've only got three episodes left. So I don't, I don't know if there'd be enough time for all that. We got a couple new characters in this episode. We got Freck voiced by Zach Braff, believe it or not, as that driver who picked up Obi-Wan and Leia. I think... He was just there, more or less, to show us that good people get swept up into bad governments and do their part as good citizens of that bad government. And that doesn't make them bad, but it does kind of put them in the way of our more idealistic protagonists. Yeah, I liked that. The planet is called uh, Mapuso, I guess. It's That's a mining system. Yeah. One thing I noticed about his character when he drove up, uh, I liked how Leia was like, oh, he seems friendly. And they hadn't even met or talked to him. And I thought that was a good example of her using her force powers without even knowing it, you know, intuiting, oh, this, I can tell this guy's not going to cause us problems. Um, but yeah, I liked that, how he basically threw him under the bus when they, when they got to the checkpoint. He's like, yeah, you might want to check those guys out, like trying to score points with his stormtrooper overlords. Well, and it might not even be as antagonistic as the Empire is usually demonstrated to be. It might just be like he he knows these guys when they take their helmets off at the bar later. You know, it's like it's more cordial than that, perhaps. I don't know. Just just a guess. I, I think it's important that they show us people like him from time to time because there's just this weird assumption like every citizen of the Empire must be complicit in the Empire and be like, you know, as evil as the empire and this guy's just trying to make a living and and keep his head above water with the guys that are in charge around him yeah you know? which is ironic because we learned that the planet used to have fields and families and and now it's ravished and by the empire and looks like arizona 
And that's, yet, what I was, that's what I put in my notes. <laughs> they landed on Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> but this character is cool that he's like, oh, yeah, he's singing the praises of the Empire, which is odd, right? Like your home world was destroyed. But, you know, hey, survival, right? Well, and there's that element of if maybe... I'm afraid I don't know my Clone Wars worlds off the top of my head, but I did do a quick internet search for it, and this didn't come up. Um, so if it's if someone does find it, then please let me know. But it could be that this world during the Clone Wars went to hell, you know, was just a terrible place to be. So soon as the Empire crops up, maybe some things change, but, you know, at least no one's shooting at you. So... That might be a, an improvement for the locals that they're willing to put up with the presence of a garrison and checkpoints and all the other bullshit that the Empire brings with it. Yeah, and they had that checkpoint with the laser. Why didn't they just walk around that thing? Um, I was wondering that, and I, <laughs> I think they had built it so close to like the cavern walls that they would have needed to climb to get over them. Yeah, did you like how? And I was wondering, like, the stormtroopers, like, don't they have a mugshot of Kenobi, you know? But they didn't know. They're just questioning him. But then the probe droid comes, and we get the ID. And I liked the uh, Keanu Reeves Matrix moment where he's got the hood, and it's just they have the pause. He's like, boosh, pulls out the blaster, and then, you know, it's on. That was pretty cool. That was cool. That was a great moment because, you know, he's again, he's distastefully having to use blasters. But damn, if he's a good shot. Yeah, that was fun. Another new character introduced on this backwater is the one that Haja sent us to meet named Tala, played by Indira Varma, who I recognized immediately as Alaria Sand from Game of Thrones. Good call. My read on her is that she is also... A good person. She is. She was altruistic, even when she joined the Empire. You know, she bought whatever the company line was, whatever the the recruiting posters told her, whatever they whatever they made her feel like in terms of being part of something good and big and important. Um, she bought into that uh, idealistically and with her whole heart. And then she, it sounds like she got wind of hunting down force sensitive children. That's what I got. And so she was like, "Fuck this." and uh, joined up with the Rebellion. Is that anything close to what you got with what she explained? Yeah, I really like that about Star Wars, where it's Palpatine spins this narrative that the Jedi have turned and they've they left me deformed and, and therefore we've got to reconstruct the Republic into this empire and, you know, and the Jedi are now the enemy and everyone's probably going, oh, it doesn't really make sense. But like you said, everyone goes along with it because that's the big lie, I guess you could say. And so everyone goes along with it, goes along with it until they learn that this ain't going to work. And uh, yeah, I thought that was cool. And I think you make a good observation. That theme was definitely throughout this episode. And by the way, we had talked about last time, who was that other Inquisitor? Well, uh, I think it's the fourth sister. I looked it up and apparently, I don't know where this came from, but her armor shows up in a uh, the Return to Vader's Castle comic. And oh. it's, being, it's being used by a rebel spy. And I was like, huh, I wonder if that possibly can end up being uh, this new character. Is it Tala or Tarla? Tala? Um, let's see. Tala. T-A-L-A. Tala. I know everyone has kind of a British accent, so it sounds like they could be saying Tarla and pronounce it Tala uh, for all we know. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's in the credits is Tala. Yeah. And we saw this, uh, you know, we know the Empire is hunting for sensitive kids. We've seen this in Rebels and Fallen Order and Clone Wars. 
kind of cool. They, they call it the path of safe houses, kind of like the underground railroad type of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we learned that this uh, Quinlan Voss, I don't know if you're familiar with, with this Jedi. He's the um, next I, guy I wanted to talk about, actually. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. Look at that segue. You know, I had remembered him from the Clone Wars, and I had to look it up. I was trying to, apparently, wow, there's a lot of stuff going on with that guy that I don't know about in Legends. But uh, he kind of has like a Native American vibe going on. I guess he's got this this retro cognition power where he can touch an object and perceive the memories that go along with it. Mm-hmm. That's a that rare was, force power. Um, I know. I remember from Clone Wars, there was definitely some interaction with, between him and Kenobi. And they went hunting for Cad Bane in season oh, three. Um, okay. They didn't find him, but he did get some screen time. He wasn't he wasn't one of the major side characters that they developed very fully. I also looked him up. He is mentioned by Obi-Wan Kenobi in uh, Revenge of the Sith. Has fallen, and Master Voss has moved his troops to Boss Pity. He mentions Master Voss, and in this episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi, he mentions Quinlan. Quinlan was here. Yeah, he helps now and again. Quinlan Voss is his whole name. And then there's some notes that he was glimpsed in the Phantom Menace, like in a background character kind of kind of way. I don't know. I have seen that movie like 20 times. I don't know <laughs> that I've ever noticed him. But yeah, if he does appear in this, that would be a tremendously big ad, like a huge ad. He's a powerful Jedi who survived Order 66, who has actually, according to his lore, fallen to the dark side and come back. Right. Wow. Yeah. And and he's also known as, as kind of a maverick. Mm-hmm. Um, and that reminded me, and I remember, I think he and Kenobi butted heads. And I think, and that parallels Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon was also a maverick that didn't go along with the Jedi Council. Yes. So I think that's cool. And then we got the quote on the wall, which was only when the eyes are closed, can you truly see the way. And that reminded me of, like, like I said, I've been re- kind of rewatching some Rebels. They had the, the you know, Kane and Jarrus character where he gets blinded by Darth Maul or Maul, and, uh, you know, has to learn to not use use his eyes and deepens his connection with the Force, and then that ends up being maybe, you could say, how he ends up defeating the Grand Inquisitor. Uh, another uh, Matrix connection, almost. Uh, in uh, Revolutions, he goes, Neo uh, loses his eyesight and has to do the same thing. These guys have been watching the Matrix, man. Seems like it. Um, just taking the good parts, apparently. Um <laughs> <laughs> We'll come back to more Quinlan Voss talk, I think, during predictions and questions. In the meantime, I wanted to hit some of the big events that took place in this episode. One being that we got to see the Fortress Inquisitorius, the, where the Inquisitors hang out. This was depicted in the Fallen Order game in very much the same way, in that it's underwater. And you can see that the windows behind them in that in that meeting room where fifth brother is assumed control of everything that looks pretty much just like the game yeah and that's the it's the moon of nur nur i guess is how you pronounce it and i guess it's right there at, at the mustafar system so vader keeps them close good call i didn't know that much and i had to look up the name of the place i thought it was the spire but the spire turned out to be something else anyway we mentioned that checkpoint action earlier What I liked about that was seeing Obi-Wan in kind of a gunslinger mode like that really got me excited. I mean, it's not very Jedi-like, and uh, we see that when it comes time to be a Jedi, he's not quite 
firing on all cylinders, but this element of going rogue and fighting for survival instead of idealism is is something that he's taken to pretty well so far. Yes. And we've also talked about the duel between Vader and Obi-Wan and the, I put fire bath in my notes here as the uh, point to cover. Is there anything else about that that we might have missed that you might want to cover again or hit before we move on to something else? The only thing that, that I didn't think we mentioned was when when Obi-Wan first sensed Vader. And, you know, I thought, oh, wow, the Inquisitors, here they come on the street. But he did the Yoda thing, like grabbed his chest and like nearly fell down, had like a panic attack as he he was like, oh, wow, he's here. That was awesome. And they staged that in a, in a very cool way with the lightsabers being lit, but then not engaged. Obi-Wan running. He's trying to extend the amount of time that he is being chased. Doesn't do him any good to get into a fight he probably can't win right away, um, especially since Leia needs more time to get away. Yeah, he was legit scared. You know, one, one thought I had about this show, I thought we might see Vader be a little bit more unhinged maybe a little bit more Anakin. So far, he seems to be that very calculating, composed OG trilogy Vader. I've been a little surprised by that. Maybe maybe we'll see that change. The killing of civilians was new to me. So maybe that's not unhinged and that is quite calculating, but it is colder than I had thought. But, you know, the guy's got to earn a reputation somehow. He's The reputation that he has by the time of a new hope has is well earned over the intervening 19 years of apparently going around killing anybody he wants yeah and you know taking it back to the beginning of the episode when we see we saw him suit up with the the crane game coming down and suiting him up which was very cool of course you know in episode three we see him get his helmet on for the first time at the end and he looks scared and i don't know if you've heard this theory there's a theory he kind of moves his mouth and there's a theory that he's saying help me padme as he's getting the helmet on. I was like, oh, wow. But in this one, we see him get his helmet on. And he just looks focused and menacing. And that was a moment that stood out to me just as a nerd that the order that the helmet went on was different than in Revenge of the Sith and at the end of Re- Return of the Jedi, how, how they take the, the helmet off. Like this helmet just kind of went on all in one piece instead of the front and the back kind of coming together. There's a lot of that. I think there's a part in this. So I think I told you, I, I tasked my 10-year-old son with going through the Darth Vader comics and telling me what was cool about it, which was awesome. But Palpatine tells him, he's like, I know you're an engineer. Feel free to go ahead and tweak your suit. So there is some indication that that he's been, he's continuously tinkering with it and modifying it. Uh-huh. That's what I assumed was that, is that like I mentioned in the last podcast, there's no reason to think that that suit that he got after being hurt on Mustafar was like his final suit. It makes total sense that he would, you know, find problems with it, want to keep going, want to uh, adapt it. That's what I kind of reconciled in my head as to, well, maybe this version of the helmet, sort of like Iron Man is always changing, <laughs> changing up his armor. Maybe exactly. this, this helmet goes on in one piece rather than in two. Yeah, I was also really struck, you know, how powerful he comes off like when he in the Obi-Wan fight, you know, he just looks so menacing and powerful. But then that is that is so harshly contrasted with where we see him, like when we saw him in the back to tank, and he's just kind of a doormat, completely vulnerable, completely dependent on machines to keep him alive. You know, he's really weak, but yet then when he's in the suit and he's just so powerful, it's just an amazing contrast. 
the back to tank must be private time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't oh, look at me. Only droids get to see him in there. Yeah. And, you know, you, you kind of touching on how the people perceive the Empire. And I know George always talked about that. The Empire is machine-like, just like Vader is. And it's always colors of, you know, black and gray and red. And they're obsessed with order. And then that's contrasted with the living force and the swamp on Dagobah and color and free spirits like Leia and stuff. So I, I think this show is really bringing out some of those themes. That last big event that I wanted to talk about was... Reva capturing Leia. Don't be afraid. Come closer. Are you the one I'm supposed to meet? Unfortunately, they couldn't make it, but I'll take you from here. Regardless of what condition Ben is in following his second and third degree burns at the hands of Vader just a minute ago, this, I think, has to flush out Ben, no matter what, just instantly. Yeah, I had the same thought. It's it's like, okay, where does, where does it go from here? Well, we know. it's You got to rescue Leia. I doubt there's even like a good plan. It's just, I was thinking he might even just turn himself in, in exchange for her. I really wonder. He, every episode we get a call to Qui-Gon, when is he going to pick up the phone? <laughs> right. <laughs> I really could use some advice now. They played at the beginning. Did you notice they played, uh, you know, when he was meditating at the very beginning, mm -hmm. um, they played the quote says, you know, Qui-Gon said, you must train him. And really Qui-Gon put a, put uh, Obi-Wan in a tough spot with the pressure of, of training him. And then he failed. And now he's not picking up the phone. Even with that failure and uncertainty, even before this series, Obi-Wan, after seeing the prequels and the Clone Wars, kind of became my favorite character because he did he was flawed he did have that idealism that made him want to follow through with Qui-Gon's wishes to be Anakin's master but in failing that spent the rest of his life trying to fix it something about that is just way more honorable than I could ever be and uh something to admire in, in a character where does Ben or Obi-Wan Kenobi um, stack up in your top character list? Oh, he's up there. I know George always described him as the compass that the story revolves around. Like he's like the steady guy that's going to, that's just very reliable. But I, I do think we're going to see this transition where he's going to, you know, like, like in this episode with Leia, he's kind of trying to force everything. He's like, oh, let's not, let's not go ride with that guy. I don't know. You know, he's not going with the flow. Like, like we see Alec Guinness He's more just like, oh, okay, this is happening. Oh, the force is probably telling us to do this. Okay, let's go. Uh, you know? <laughs> right. So I think there's a big contrast there. And I think we're going to see, you know, something to do with Qui-Gon, school him in the ways of the living force. And then he's going to become more Alec guinness -y. So some questions that I had after watching this and seeing Obi-Wan get his butt kicked, he seems way too out of practice to actually win out, you know, to make a good showing in this series. Tala, for all of her grand sharpshooting, is still just a regular person. He's going to need someone else to help. I know that we've talked about Ahsoka showing up, but with her getting her own show later this year, 
it's conceivable that Rosario Dawson just can't do all these appearances like Bo- Book of Boba Fett, you know, and then this and then her other normal jobs and then have a, a whole Ahsoka show later. And the more we go through this, the less I think we're going to see Ahsoka show up. But that mention of Quinlan Voss, can that just be another Easter egg that goes nowhere? Or, or do you think we actually might get to see Quinlan Voss in a, in a support role. Well, that's a good point. I, I think we're definitely going to see Hayden Christensen show up in Ahsoka, uh, the show. Um, mm-hmm. That confrontation we had in Rebels with the Sith Temple, uh, what was it, Malachor, that was too cool. And I think they're just going to they're gonna have to continue that conflict between the Master and the Apprentice there. But yeah, I agree. That's a good point. I, you know, Obi-Wan has been established as being he's too weak. How's he going to fare against Vader again? It's not going to be pretty, so he needs help. So that's a good point. Maybe Quinlan Voss or Ahsoka could show up and save the day. Another consideration uh, for this era could be Saw Gerrera. Mm. Oh, wow. He's active during this period, and he was depicted in both Clone Wars and uh, Rogue One. Uh, it was just like his ideals weren't in strict keeping with the greater you know, uh, Rebel Alliance in total so he kind of ran his own show that was anti-empire but not the same message as the rebel alliance either um but maybe this is before that maybe this is before they kind of split up so perhaps he's he's available i don't know i, I don't know that you take on vader with saw Gerrera. i think you need another force user that's a good point because that would help bring out the alliance that's forming here mm-hmm. and and bring in maybe it's a bail organa and and some of these these other rebel factions coming together in force at the end to help Obi-Wan because they kind of have this theme of reaching out for help going on because Obi-Wan's, he's been <laughs> hiding in the desert, but it's kind of like, hey, no, you need to embrace the this rebellion. Did you have any um, questions generated by your viewing of the show that you wanted to discuss? I think I've laid it out. I just, I'm really curious about what, what we get with, uh, with Qui-Gon. That was awesome. I can't wait to watch it again even. It's just... I, you know, it's very challenging to all of us knowing the the prequels so well and and how things left. Uh, it was like, how are they going to handle that? So that I thought it was great. I thought they handled it really well. And it was uh, super cool with the fire. Like you said, I'm just I'm really happy with it. Favorite one so far, for sure. Predictions wise, like I said, I think we've got to get some more help. Also, uh, I think that Ben, in some way, will need to exchange himself for Leia. That's the whole, I think that's the whole point of her getting captured, was Reva's going to say, we'll let her go if blah, blah, blah. And how he's going to get out of that might be with the assistance of this new player that we're not aware of yet. Pod Clubhouse doesn't have screeners to this, so I'm not cheating. I'm just uh, guessing. So I'd be happy to be wrong as long as it's a more awesome version of the story. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that idea that like a prisoner exchange type deal. That mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. And I, I wonder, I mean, we've only got three episodes left. Will that happen? Will, will they just keep on running and gunning? And that's <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see the pacing of this thing. It's got a good pace so far. And just... Like you, I want, I need to watch it again because this, the first viewing was, was so that I could prepare for the podcast, but I want to really soak up the stuff that I might've missed when I was looking down on my notes, you know, the, just the little touches say like that, the droid shop where they hide out for a second. If you've ever been to the droid shop in Disney world or Disneyland, it looks pretty close 
you know, with like the body parts hanging from the conveyor belt, the overhead like hook system or whatever, and different parts just laying in bins and all that. Disney hasn't gotten everything right about Star Wars, but the decision to make all of that kind of stuff uh, coherent in terms of if you go to Batu uh, in Disney World, you're going to see the same kind of iconography and naming and and just world building that you're going to see in the video games, in the role playing games, in the TV shows. Now, it's all meant to work together in a way that that wasn't quite as well done in George's time. Yeah, I think I was watching a little bit of the celebration and Dave Filoni said something similar to that. He mentioned kind of like, it kind of sounds like they kind of have like a grand architecture they're working off of and then telling stories within. For a guy that keeps track of that sort of weird details, that's it's a very satisfying um, place to be, you know, that it all matches up. Yeah, you just got to love that about Star Wars, all the the droids and all the, the sets. And, and that was very cool. It definitely made an impression. What did you think of the... Uh, when Obi-Wan sees a vision of the kind of Vader Anakin guy in the hood where it kind of looked like, to me, it reminded me of Anakin on Mustafar uh-huh. when Padme was showing up and he's like looking at the lava, just like crying. And I was like, oh, it just kind of demonstrated his conflict. But was he just seeing things like that was what was your take on that? It did seem like he was just seeing things to me, like his his imagination had been running away with him on the freighter about the implications of Anakin slash Vader being alive. And it's still screwing with him, you know, it's still impacting him. And, and it's like, it's almost like jumping at shadows, you know, a little bit because now the boogeyman <laughs> is alive and, and he's, and he's hunting me actively. I didn't think it was something else like a force projection or, or something, but maybe it was, Maybe it was. I mean, that's yeah. A no, I think it might might have been like force force shadowing. Like uh, he's coming. Yeah, I mean that's a more cool Star Warsy reason than than just uh, hallucinations. <laughs> so right. So I'd be more inclined to want to think that that was Anakin pushing his his force self into Obi Wan's uh, perception. That'd be more cool. I'm gonna go with that. I'm with you. That's all I have. Is there anything else you wanted to chat about for part three of season one of Obi-Wan? I think we have we have parsed this thing up and down. It was great. Uh, last line from the show that I liked, uh, Leia asked, how does the force work? And he said, it's the feeling when you turn the light on in the dark. I thought that was a cool line. Have you ever been afraid of the dark? How does it feel when you turn on the light? I feel safe. Yes, it feels like that. I like that whole exchange. Um, I liked a lot of their their talking, you know, the, that she knows there's more going on than she's being told. She has questions. He doesn't want to overshare. He, and so he has kind of leading answers. I'm not your father, but it sounds a lot like you knew my mother pretty well. And, you know, all of that chat in the back of the truck. And then also kind of that, like you mentioned, that, that discussion about the force it reminded me of Han Solo and Finn with the, that's not how it works, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. One of the better lines from the sequel movies anyway. All right. Well, I think that covers this one. Uh, please uh, come back and check us out next week for our coverage of part 
four. I can't wait to see where this goes. They brought us to a definite um, uh, mid-season high point here with the abduction of, of Leia um, and Ben getting his butt just kicked and burned even. So yeah, we're in a we're in a bad spot, which is where we're supposed to be for this kind of story right now. If people wanted to find you, Mark, on social media and reach out and talk about Star Wars, how would they do that? At Jiggy Nut on Twitter. And if you want to find me, I'm Paul V Daily on Twitter or at Pod Clubhouse on Twitter. Or just come to the website and use our form there, www.podclubhouse.com. If you like this podcast, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to it on iTunes. Amazon, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts so that other people can find it and enjoy in the Star Wars goodness together. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.